The voices used to tell her that, you know, if two of your children have died, why is this alive? Mm -hmm. You can go on humiliating me, but I will just stay calm and I will do my work. I have cried myself hoarse, uh, you know, banging my head on the wall and cried. I have gone through it so much that I know that in the end, nothing happens. And if you're crying and if you're sad, nobody wants you. We have one uh, athlete on wheelchair who does a 240 kg bench press. They are better than the normal. When you are able to adjust yourself and make yourself so strong that I can live without anything, you know, and I can always start from scratch and then grow. That faith keeps you alive. I'm sharing it with you. Nobody else knows about it. So I'm sharing this for the first time here. From Wine Studio, you are listening to The Inspiring Talk, a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business and career to the next level. Dr. Rita Jairat, your story is one of the most inspiring stories that I have come across in the past. I want to start off this conversation by talking about your childhood and especially you had a schizophrenic mom. How was growing up like for you? Well, in those times, people did not have kind of awareness about how specific mental disorders are. And uh, there was just a kind of a line, black and white. So either you are mad and insane or not. So there's nothing in between. Although this, these are all spectrums, we talk about it now. And so we were socially very isolated. And uh, it goes without saying that she was obviously not in a condition to give love and affection or take care of us or cook and how the rest of the mothers usually do. So I was kind of God's child and uh, being brought up by my father primarily. But when he was busy and he had office work to do, he had a lot on him. So it was neighbors sometimes. Uh, you know, where we'd go to and they'd give us food. And it was somehow, I'm like in the truest sense of the word, uh, God's child. So she used to get auditory hallucinations. And, uh, you know, those voices used to trouble her a lot. She used to be very upset because the repercussions of that was that my father used to be very upset. I was kind of the punching bag and very fragile at home. So I have been through a lot of beatings, beaten up blue and black. Uh, for very, very minor, petty, irrelevant reasons. So most of my childhood passed like that. And yes, in my quest to receive love and affection and also acceptance in the rest of the society, it has been my endeavor to do well. Fortunately, and just how those times where we didn't have things like social media or uh, in the internet and stuff like that to distract us, I had a simple life. So we were into reading books. And when you're alone at a very early age in a journey of self-actualization, that's all you have to lean back on. So I always used to strive to get as perfect in whatever I do, pursue a lot of hobbies, explore myself so that I can relate to such communities, get recognition and acceptance, and then receive all the love that I might have been craving for at that point of time. And uh, I think you had two siblings before you who couldn't survive, right? Yes. 
So I had a sister. She died. She was the eldest. And then a brother. So they died very young. My brother died uh, as, you know, he was still born because my mother did not get medical attention at that time. That impacted her so much that she lost her mental balance. And she used to somehow feel that it would be difficult for, you know, the next child to survive. And it just added up too much. The voices used to tell her that if two of your children have died, why is this alive? And she started getting these hallucinations when she was carrying me. So it might have been even difficult for me to be born normal and uh, survive also. So again, I said, I'm God's child. You mentioned about the craving for the love at home because being beaten. And, you know, I always feel that when you grow up with such a difficult condition at home where you're like always beaten up, you seek that love, you seek that validation, you seek that affection. And uh, to a larger extent, that sort of manifests in a ways you can't even fathom when you grow up, right? So how has your definition of love evolved over the years from that upbringing? So that upbringing was probably not the only thing because we were living in isolation and uh, all relatives left us. Most of my relatives are abroad and, you know, then they they'd actually cut off. So again, I was very isolated and It was my dream to get married in a family where I would receive a lot of love, of course, from my husband, because that my age was such, I was very young. And then love and affection of a mother from my uh, mother-in-law and my father-in-law. So I uh, had that childish desire in me because I had not interacted in society and amongst relatives like children from joint families are very smart. They know the dynamics of how relatives and things, uh, such things work. I thought it's a fairy land and uh, my expectations were probably too high. But unfortunately, once I got married, their expectations uh, were of very typical daughter-in-law that, you know, I would get probably a lot of dowry and I could easily be enslaved. One of the conditions on which I got married was that I would be allowed to study further. And uh, my husband was in Merchant Navy. Uh, They told me that he will be staying on the ship all the time and I wanted to pursue MBBS and I wanted to be a doctor. I mean, that was even till now when I think of it, I skip a heartbeat. Uh, So I wanted to do that and uh, I thought I would be studying for my entrance exam because that's how it was in those times. But the moment I would sit with a book, you know, they would be very upset and they would cry and they would hide my books and all those. It It used to just get very melodramatic. I was overburdened with a lot of household work and drudgery, unimaginably so. They probably took it as a weakness that because she has nobody back home, there are no relatives and she is all by herself. She cannot go back to that environment. So we can just bully her and she has no choice but to bear it. And then time passed and I got no medical attention and I was very sick. I wasn't even getting proper nutrition. I was sleeping for two, three hours and I was just working nonstop. Uh, It was a joint family of eight, nine people and uh, I was the only one doing all the work. They would get drunk at night and right from cleaning the utensils to mopping the floor and everything, you know, with hand and washing the clothes. I mean, no washing machine or something like that. I was doing everything on my own. So, you know, you can take it to think to the extreme. I lost a lot of weight. I was very sick 
And then my son was born. And uh, of course, again, during my, when he was born, it was uh, difficult for them to convince them to get, give me enough medical attention. But then he was born, very beautiful child. Uh, but then eventually he was diagnosed uh, autistic. And uh, all my hopes and dreams were on him, on my child, like him or her, whoever it would be, that once I have a child, I would have somebody would be my own and uh, in that age of course I used to think it in my control that you know I would nurture uh, him or her the way I want and I would probably receive all the love and affection and do the things which I missed out in life but uh, then with the autism obviously I broke down and uh, I had decided at that point of time like all doors were closed for me he was all I had and I said that since I have actually lost every hope and desire, I will give my 100% to this child. Autism was not known until 1991 in India. It came in the psychiatry books in 91. And he's an 88-born child. So everybody said that maybe because her mother is mad, he is mad, and she doesn't know how to bring up a child, and the fault was entirely mine. So I got further isolated. But then I was really bent upon understanding his problems and uh, I went to certain doctors and it was at the All India Institute of Medical Sciences that one of the doctors told me to explore this uh, autism and ask someone if I knew someone from US. I have my uncle there, my maternal uncle there and he sent me this literature and I realized that he has exactly the same symptoms and they said that he would not be able to speak. But he didn't have an articulation problem. So they said, even if you try, it takes about 20, 25 years of giving 24 hours, if not 36 hours in every 24 hours. Like it needs you to leave everything and just focus on this one thing. Nobody does that. You can do it for one year, two years, but not like 20 odd years. But that since I didn't have anything else to look forward to, so I just decided that let me do something which nobody has done until now. And was that because you were craving that attention and love as a kid that you wanted like, okay, I want to give all my love attention and shower this kid with everything that he needs? To some extent, yes. But to some extent that I had kind of a tiff with God that why everything else has been closed for me, I want to fight it out. If you have not even given an instinct to my child, let me try to conquer that. Because doctors said that there can be a possibility if you give 20 years. And I said, if there is a human possibility, even the remotest one, I must give it a try. Let me do something which nobody has done until now and set an example for the parents of all autistic children or parents who have children with special needs, you know, that there is a possibility. It will give them hope. I want to set an example and do something which is unique so that I stand out. So that was one of the very first things which I took up, which where there was no possibility of happening, you know, of uh, actually becoming real, that I took up. And uh, he started talking within one year. Like he was almost two and a half years when he said his first word. Then, you know, I became a little hopeful. 
And I think word by word, I taught him. I went to so many psychiatrists and counselors and I followed what kind of therapies they were having for uh, spastic children or dyslexic children. Uh, because all that was known and documented uh, in books and all that. But I started picking up ways of treating such children and then converting them into kind of therapeutic modalities which will suit my son's specific need. So there is no better psychiatrist than a mother because the mother knows very extremely finer intricacies and nuances about that child. And if a mother is bent upon doing it, she will do it. So, you know, even when I uh, got him admitted in a school, at that time, nobody uh, believed that he can be in a normal school, but I, I was bent upon it. So I used to go to school with him. I rewrote all the NCRT books. And until his 10th standard, everybody thought that, why is she doing this? Like, I used to be just making him learn answers, taking him out with me, trying to uh, engage him in so many activities so that, you know, the brain gets stimulation. Did that frustrate you at some point? It used to hurt me a lot, but uh, I knew that this is for the long haul and uh, I had nothing else to look forward to. And this was something which I had taken up. And my childhood had been very bad and it had always been my dream. Even when I was very small, I used to think that when I have children, I will have normal children and I will love them and I will do this and that. And my children will be very glorious because I was, you know, from very tender age, as I said, maybe to receive love or whatever. I was very fond of doing a lot of things, exploring my potential. At that time, I wasn't putting this in words, but I was doing it. Even as a child, I never had any indulgences like children do, getting into wrong paths, pathways. And I was never like that. I was a maybe a bit idealistic maybe too idealistic, but I always wanted to do something nice and grow and evolve, even as a child. Does that come from the need to prove to your mother to some extent, or maybe crave for love or seeking that validation, or maybe from the dedication that you have seen in your father? Because, you know, one of the things that your dad did was took care of your mother for 35 years. And I think that is a lot of commitment a man can show. Absolutely, absolutely. A mix of both. I probably didn't expect much love from my mother because she was really not in her senses. But yes, uh, validation and acceptance, more of it from my father. I wanted, to, I always wanted to please him. He was like a friend and a brother and everything. Like, uh, till the time he died, I never felt the need of, uh, you know, having any friends, even girlfriends. I never had a friend. I was always by myself for a very long time. So, you know, I always had this uh, craving in me to do a lot of things like Bharatnatyam. Even as a child, I learned Bharatnatyam for about 10 years. I was into music. Uh, all my school friends who are now in touch with me, they talked to me about those days uh, when I used to sing in the class, participate in a lot of competitions into school and stuff like that. I was school leader in my uh, school when I passed out from Kendra Vidyalaya. So I was always into many activities, but I felt that I wasn't getting the kind of encouragement and support that could help me to reach, you know, my peak. And I wanted to do that uh, for my child. Somewhere down the line, I think that uh, my father wasn't able to give me the 100% because he was too engaged with my mother, you know, in, in her therapy. 
He was also insecure because he was all by himself. He was aging and with two daughters, he was also very concerned and there's a kind of fear. So all these desires were there in me. And so maybe that is why I had pursued this, that I wanted to do something unique because now I had nothing else to look forward to. So I just wanted to give my 100% that I would do something which nobody has done. And a lot of doctors told me that uh, autistic children, uh, they tend to have cerebral hypoplasia. So cerebellum is responsible for balance. And uh, they told me that you can teach him balancing activities. So that's how I got into skating and swimming. So I and him, like mother and child, we would go and learn together, train together. And uh, people would find it very awkward because early 90s, many years ago, that was a time when uh, I don't know people whether people can relate to that now or not. But really, I mean, like a, a grown-up woman, a mother, doing it at all these things at that time was considered very, very weird. So I would stand out like that all the time. Some people would like it. Some people would make fun of it. But nobody ignored it, you know, it just always come in line. Because I was doing it for myself. I had at a very early age, because my mother used to, you know, talk to the hallucinations, scream, take off her clothes. It was very violent, you know, to what to whatever you can imagine. So I somehow uh, subconsciously learned to ignore what people around me are saying or doing. I would always do my own thing. So I think it didn't affect me, neither positively nor negatively. Like I am my own person. Uh, that's how, you know, when I got into bodybuilding, like I said, as long as I am not doing anything illegal or immoral or anything, nobody can stop me. So once you have challenges at your home with your mother's illness and then you got married and then you had a child who was not what you expected, again, another challenge in, you know, in that way. And then having a tough family as well to when you were married, your husband's side of things. And then talk about your marriage as well. Was that the another challenge that you went through? Yeah, because he was in Merchant Navy, so I was alone most of the time. He was away on the ship. And uh, my in-laws, they probably didn't want us to be very connected. They felt that he would not be in their control. They wanted control over his salary. They wanted him to settle them down and buy them a house, get the brothers married. They felt a bit worried that if he gets close to me, then he may not do it. Probably their own insecurities, fears, and uh, the kind of background they are from. They are very, very, I don't know, I don't want to use the word, but, they, but greedy, you know, I mean, like, very money-minded. Because of that, they kind of kept him very distracted from me. He had his own world. And, you know, that magnified because my attention was with my son and he had his own world of friends and uh, he liked to party, he liked to drink, he liked to have fun and he was completely opposite of how I am. I have never had a sip of alcohol in my life and I have never had the desire to go into these pubs and stuff like that. But he was just into that. So we were like kind of extremes. So. He was in his own world and uh, he thought I'm pretty boring. He was away most of the times. And uh, on the ship, there are women they meet and he had his friends. So he was more uh, happier with them probably. 
so i was very lonely after a kind of gap you know now he's uh, come back he has parkinson's disease and uh, he needs my help now obviously he's very sick i just thought that it is probably now uh, because he's the father of my son and uh, it is my duty to look after him no matter what we all have to go away one day i think we should just do the best whatever we can and that's about about him and do you think when you come from a lot of struggle and when you are faced with a lot of challenges you pour love naturally because one of the things that i have noticed is all you have to offer is love and kindness to people yes i think uh, i have been through so much of humiliation people who knew that i have no choice but to do this or that whether it's profession or people know my background they know that i am alone even say in my neighborhood people knew she's all alone so everybody has tried all sort of tactics to maybe bully me or suppress me i have kind of learned the art of maneuvering through that they will suppress me they will trouble me let them do their karma but i will keep going i endure a lot hell of a lot but there is there will always be one point where i don't break and uh, the kind of endurance that i have developed for humiliation is that you can go on humiliating me but i will just stay calm and i will do my work that art i think that is one of the things i have mastered in my life because i cannot talk about the exact profession and the exact people here because i am involved professionally but then say bodybuilding you know let me talk about the past everybody criticized me how can a woman be a bodybuilder how can you take off your clothes and go on stage but thousand people are judging you and i said yes it's all wrong it's very bad i'm a bad woman i won't fight with them i won't quarrel with them but i would silently keep on doing you can stop me from doing exercise in the gym but uh, there is a ground there is a your whole body is there uh, i mean like if you tell me here i can do a push up on this table i can do a push up on the floor you cannot stop a person if the person is determined to do something which is not immoral unethical or illegal you cannot stop if the person has that fire that person will do it if there are villagers who have nothing to eat they don't have shoes but they have won olympic medals we are still better off we can we have education we have a whole world of teachings from right from sanskrit shlokas to kabir dohas to help us you know cruise through that the humiliation that i have learned to bear has taught me one thing i will never do it back to anybody i know exactly how it feels when somebody tries to hurt you so i don't do it back and uh, another thing that i have learned is that no matter what i want to tell you suppose i want to tell you something which is very very harsh i can still say it in the kindest way the firmness has to be inside my heart and soul the firmness doesn't have to come out in the form of aggression if it is coming out in the form of aggression it means i have lost my self control that means i need to work on my my soul because i am not controlled and contained so that balance 
to build that equilibrium in the mind. I think that helps us to place our emotions correctly. And uh, yes, as you said that uh, I have craved for love all my life. So all I have to offer is only love. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned that you were into Bharatanatyam and uh, dance form is often the expression of the stories and emotion in, in that dance form, right? To some extent, have you also felt that has been your way of pouring your emotions and stories in that dance form in some way? Yes, of course. I think the primary element of Bharatanatyam is Abhinaya. So I had a guru. We were a group of students. And uh, this is interesting. So she would give them a sentence and tell them to say it with an expression from the Navrasa. And, you know, the nine kind of expressions we have. She would assign everybody the expression which for that particular person would be a challenge. So she used to always tell me to express that with anger because it is so difficult to make me angry. In Bharatanatyam, when it comes to love, laugh, smile, every other thing, it would come to me very easy. But uh, when it comes to expression of anger or violence, it becomes a bit difficult for me. I think the same thing manifests in weight training. I feel when I would be shooting for, a, say, a weight training thing, the photographer would tell me, bring aggression on your face. And I couldn't because I felt that all the strength I have to apply, say, if I'm lifting a dumbbell, I have to apply the strength here. Why would I be, you know, clenching my face? So you have to know to how to place your expression correctly. There is a kind of strength in stillness. The greatest strength is in being calm and being still. If you say that is not only emotionally, but even physically. Suppose we call it an isometric hold. Suppose you are holding your hand like that for five minutes. It's probably very painful and much more difficult than moving it and lifting something heavy. So you need to know how to place your emotions, your strength. And if a person is actually getting angry, that means the person is very fragile inside. That person is not strong. Aggression is a symptom of weakness. So my father used to say, ki, agar koi gussa kar raha hai, that person is weak. That person has not mastered self-control. So, yes. Another thing is that there are moments when I have felt like, uh, felt sad, cried. I have cried myself hoarse, you know, banging my head on the wall and cried. I have gone through it so much that I know that in the end nothing happens. And if you're crying and if you're sad, nobody wants you. So, Having done that and conquered that, I have come to a stage that if I am uh, sad, I know how to smile a little extra so that I can conquer that feeling. These are life skills and they really help you. So that's how it has been that I have been able to keep myself strong uh, through these years and uh, because I had no choice. Uh, so when you're pushed to the edge, then, you know, that is when you learn and you go way beyond what other people would generally do, what a reflex section would make you do. So your achievements in the bodybuilding is a long, long list of accomplishments. You started bodybuilding as a way, or rather going to gym as a way to 
start training your son and start helping him pick up weights and build the strength and then you yourself went on to bodybuilding and professionally so how old were you professionally i started when i was 37 and did you not feel that oh am i too old to do this or maybe i'm sure people around you must have said things like that <laughs> plus being a woman and it was uh, we are talking about 1990s as i said that i had already gone beyond what people around me say and uh, as far as being old is concerned that time passed so quickly and i was so involved with my own self i kind of put this aside that um, you know my chronological age is growing and uh, by god's grace because i was i have always been into some of the other physical activity and uh, even the contradiction in the kind of physical activities which kind of completes me you know and rounds me off and also that uh, i don't have any indulgences i think the, all these things put together have just let me go uh, you know away from that chronological number so when i got into bodybuilding yes uh, everybody may, yeah a lot of people made fun of me and uh, people would tease me people would criticize me people would look at me look upon me as something that i mean obviously a woman taking off clothes and going on stage was not acceptable things have changed now i'm so glad that i have been uh, kind of instrumental in bringing about this change in a very large way and uh, so there was no bodybuilding competition here all the competitions were abroad so i went to many countries and because everybody was uh, so much against me that you shouldn't be doing that i was even more determined because after my son this was the another thing which i took up as a first you know when i started uh, battling autism the way i did it was probably one of the first and then now that i got into bodybuilding again you know that was because i wanted to do so much in life and now i found something which i could do where i kind of didn't have competition so i was traveling abroad and competing with women who are doing it anyways so if i go to say czechoslovakia or madrid or uh, usa or hong kong nobody cares whether you're a man or a woman you're doing it everybody else is doing it so the atmosphere there uh, you know was such that and they would say that oh we have a woman from india i mean that's great i mean that's unbelievable because how india is looked upon i mean was looked upon at that time all these things they helped me and i think you have been very very instrumental in this sport yes yeah so in india and uh, i was going through your instagram and i was looking at the comments and i could see a lot of other women bodybuilder sort of you know leaving the comments i just you know went on to check the profile and stuff like that made me think that nobody was doing it before and here is somebody who did it and uh, who had the most of her accomplishments in 40s like most of the awards and i was looking at like okay 2010 11 12 and that was the time when you were bringing awards and winning gold and silver and so on and so forth and i calculated the number i'm like oh she was in her 40s and then looking at a lot of other women taking this up i think that is what i feel was something you know like you said is a big contribution in making other women believe that hey this is possible for you it is the best thing about bodybuilding is that now i am the only woman in the international judging panel in ifbb in asia all the girls out there all of them it is so gratifying that they love me we talk about women you know with cat fights and claws out against each other all the women out there love me 
you know, they all, they say, the, okay, Rita, ma'am, judging panel, pe hai, to sab theek hai. I mean, they feel, you know, a lot of love for me. I think that is one of my greatest achievements that I, I have real love from real people. My Instagram is not uh, those kind of numbers with millions and stuff like that. I think everybody out there relates to me personally. So that is very, very gratifying. So the other thing that I wanted to sort of discuss with you is after all of this, so what is your relationship with your son is like right now? And, you know, you've mentioned the dedication that you have and the time and effort that you have put in spending time teaching him stuff. Now, what is he doing and how has his transformation or how has his life shaped up? Oh, he's my greatest teacher because he's helped me to evolve my soul. He's the one who introduced me to bodybuilding. It is for him that I wanted to stay strong. Now that, uh, you know, he did his graduation and post-graduation from UK, everybody thought I'm mad because I'm spending all that money. But, you know, I wanted him to get enriched. And as I said, I have always been determined through these decades that, you know, he should do well. And he should be an example for the world. And now it it does happen that hundreds of parents, they call me sometimes at night and they say, how did you do this? It seems impossible. And, you know, my child is getting aggressive. And so I always try to calm down mothers and talk to them. Uh, now he is working with the Hotel Lalit. Uh, they have a quota for people with intellectual disabilities. And I think that is amazing. That is amazing work. I always felt that there was always a job availability for physically handicapped people because the physically handicapped person, you know, person on a wheelchair can think for himself or herself. They can, they can still do work. They have some provision for every kind of handicap. They may have a translator, they may have a reader, they, you know, something is there. But for a person who is mentally challenged, just to make that person functional, it's a huge, massive task. It takes away all your mental energy and your resilience. You need to really change yourself from deep within. That takes hell of a lot. So he had tried to do a job in a couple of places and it didn't work out. But here, the atmosphere they have given him is so good. They have helped him to adjust. They have adjusted with him. They pamper him like a child and then they make him do a lot of work. So he does a 10-hour duty. And of course, his salary is very minimal, but it's not that. And as I told you, I mean, he's kind of getting paid therapy. It gives a lot of solace to my heart because I used to wonder what will happen to him when I go. But I think I'm sure in the next few years, he'll be very settled with a job and, you know, being functional, looking after people at the front desk, mm -hmm. dealing with people who are international guests, dealing with them, talking to them, calming down. I think it's huge. There's massive work that they're doing. And they have set an example for other organizations also to employ such people. That is massive. So I and me, uh, my son, we are best friends. It's because of him I got into He's a very good singer. So all autistic people have some special talent. He sings very well, exceedingly well. So I got him introduced to classical music. And then we started learning together. So we are, I tease him sometimes that I'm your younger sister in you know so many ways because he you're my teacher so one of the things that uh, i wanted to do after bodybuilding is once i retire when i was uh, competing i had those six packs and i was very muscular wherever i would walk people would look back and you know all that attention and stuff like that you're special you're unique 
I think every girl in any sport, whether it's bodybuilding or athletics or whatever, they need to know how to retire gracefully, come out of it, and then still keep yourself strong. I never did bodybuilding for the medal. I did bodybuilding because I wanted to do it for the cause of it, for the love of it, and uh, how to explore your potentials. What all has you know God showered you with from within? If you have just lived your life without exploring yourself, and you say, "Oh, I want to live my life," so you just go to a disco or bar and have drinks because you're living your life, then you you are really on the wrong track. I mean, you have so you have a world in you. You know, you can just do anything. In fact, just today. at the sports authority of india you know i was offered to train for this world championship where uh, women in you know about 50s and masters be into athletics and 100 meter 100 meter race that's my new uh, thing and this is just uh, i'm sharing it with you nobody else knows about it so i'm sharing this for the first time here and uh, yes training para uh, athletes those athletes on wheelchair they are phenomenal we have one uh, athlete on wheelchair who does a 240 kg bench press they are better than the normal because god kind of super compensates uh, when god takes away something from you so these are all very gratifying experiences when i look at your life it looks like you have mastered how to when when situation or god throws challenge at you and then take that gracefully and then make something beautiful out of it so for anyone who's listening to this and maybe going through some sort of challenging phase in the life right now or maybe somebody who is in the space where like in your case there has been several dead ends whether that's you know having a son with a problem or having you know challenge in your marriage and so on and so forth there has been so many challenges in your life right so what is your sort of way of navigating through this from the mental perspective of course the challenge can be anything but i'm sure there is a sort of certain mental model per se or the thought process that you go through to sort of say that okay here's the challenge how do you go about it first of all we don't attach ourselves and think too much on things that you cannot control we need to have a parallel sense of detachment with the result so we must accept we really have no choice when you have no control over something then leave it on god jo hoga dekha jayega worst case scenario what will happen let me make myself so powerful mentally that even in the worst situation i will kind of live through it and accept it gracefully if you can do that then first of all you will become fearless the second thing is that you need to understand that there is a process analogous in every field it's the same process of learning unlearning relearning and just like my son was told that he will never be able to speak but i broke the entire thing into micro steps and irrespective of the time it would take to even say a syllable i made sure that i i stopped attaching myself to the time factor so today even if i go to learn a new art i i did learn kalari by it for some time i restarted bharatnatyam after gap of 25 years and i had completely forgotten so no matter what you pursue you can do anything if you break it into micro micro steps and 
डोंट वरी अबाउट द टाइम यू हैव टू हैव सो मच ह्यूमिलिटी दैट यू नीड टू अंडरस्टैंड दैट एक्सेप्ट फॉर योर वेरी ओन फील्ड यू आर अ ले मैन एवरीवेयर एंड इफ यू गो टू अ न्यू फील्ड यू नो दैट आई एम हियर फॉर द लॉन्ग हॉल देर विल बी पीपल हु विल बी वेरी गुड दे विल कम दे विल गो दे विल कम विल गो बट यू विल बी देर एंड इट इज इम्पॉसिबल दैट ओवर अ लॉन्ग पीरियड ऑफ टाइम यू विल नॉट बी एबल टू डू वॉट यू वॉन्ट टू डू और वॉट यू वॉन्ट टू अचीव सो दिस इज द एनालॉजी विच आई हैव अप्लाइड इन माई लाइफ दैट्स वाई यू गिव मी एनी फील्ड एनी सब्जेक्ट एनी थिंग आई विल गो एंड मास्टर इट आई जस्ट हैव लर्न दैट फ्लेक्सीबिलिटी इन द माइंड एंड द प्रोसेस ऑफ एक्सेप्टेंस एंड द ह्यूमिलिटी दैट आई एम अ लर्नर फॉर एवर and the second thing is that when there is a challenge and when there is a dead end one must be able to accept uh, and surrender you need to surrender before god that if it is destined to be this then this is how it shall be then start from zero and fight for it some time ago i was in a very difficult situation i financially i had a setback i started commuting by metro I look for a job. I'm still having that job, and I'm doing all the other things, and then I revived. Then now I am much more stronger because I know that even if that situation comes, I can get any job. I can trust. You know, I can learn anything. So it kind of further reinforces you that belief in yourself comes when you are ready to be humble. Why? Why we are scared is. oh i have a bungalow i have a ac i have this car i will lose this it is the fear when you are able to adjust yourself and make yourself so strong that i can live without anything and i can always start from scratch and then grow that faith keeps you alive so uh, i think these are the things uh, which keep you going and you know in the end one thing i still worry about is what what will happen to my son when i'm not there i'm working on it day and night i have worked on it for 35 years now he will be 35 in november but there is one thing which we people dread but it is the most beautiful thing and that is the idea of mortality we all have to die one day i think that keeps you grounded that no matter how rich you are how poor you are and how much in pain you are suppose the pain is unbearable there is something called death that will happen it will end one day so if you are start realizing all these things some people crave a lot for lot of fame you must understand that once you die in some time in four days people will forget you so let us live this life to the fullest and enjoy relish every moment of it if you live with this kind of mindset nothing will bother you and what's your hope for your son after you gone yeah so he is doing this job I am trying to train him. I don't keep any money with me. I have given him all the money, and I tell him to handle it. Let him do mistakes. I tell him to handle it. So recently, he did one silly mistake. He used the credit card, and he was getting this move and pick ice cream. He got ice cream for fifty thousand, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I was upset, obviously, because I work very hard. But then I told him how you can do it better. and i said doesn't matter i will i will pay for it but it's good that you're doing all these blunders serious serious blunders now when i'm alive and uh, i am working on uh, making a trust i am working on consolidating all my savings and putting them together you know in such a way that he has it but yes 
uh, when I make a trust, obviously I'm going to have somebody who is going to take care of him, take care of the money and, you know, all the legalities. But then I will not be there because if I'm there, then things will not go wrong or for him at least. I will take the brunt on me. I'll take all the pressure on me. But if something happens, then you have to let go. That, you know, okay, I have done whatever I can, whatever I can humanly do. I have done everything and God has shown me the path. After that, if something happened, then okay, there is one moment when death will come and all pain will end. Let's let it happen. Let us leave it on God. That parallel sense of detachment, surrender and acceptance, that will keep you going. It should be there. So when you are at this point of life, when you have some time for yourself, and when you are by yourself, just looking back at your life and just the journey that you have had, what are the few things that come up for you? So I say to myself, at the cost of sounding immodest, I think I'm special. I'm God's special child. As I had told you that there was uh, a film uh, called Aparajita that was being film made for me and uh, you know, the screenplay has been written. It doesn't happen to everybody. There is a biography that has been written and that is under consideration with Penguin Books right now. So whether it goes through or not, uh, you know, there are business angles, commercial angles to it and, uh, you know, all the, the destiny and stuff like that. But I do feel that I am born and I think I'm there to give a message to the world. So everything I have done until now, you know, whether it is bringing up my son, uh, despite the circumstances, getting into bodybuilding, pursuing very contradictory fields of work, whether it is Bharatanatyam or corporate work as an entrepreneur or whether I'm with the football as a safeguarding officer. I think I'm one of the first women safeguarding officer with the all India football. What's safeguarding officer? What they exactly do? Uh, where we look after the well-being. Uh, that includes everything from sexual exploitation to the education of children, their nutrition, emotional bullying, selection process, everything. You know that travel conditions, that their general well-being and a very positive atmosphere, so that there is no setback emotionally, physically, mentally. And uh, uh, especially for, you know, uh, special populations there. One is uh, women, one is children. And the very, very difficult special population is the elite athlete. Because there are athletes who come and go, they play for the sake of fun. But once you reach a certain stature, then you are sensitive. You know, you need to be playing in very elite games. And people may stop you. They may be jealous people. You know, you may be under pressure. So... At the end of the day, all of them are human beings. So safeguarding is something which has uh, been taken in a very proactive way only by the All India Football Federation now. So I am the first one, you know, uh, holding this office and doing it in such a proactive way. So I'm just, I, I'll be traveling to Nepal uh, soon for a seminar with the SAC countries. So many things are such that I have been the first one uh, doing it. And uh, everything I have done, even the... A supplement brand that I have started, you know, I have uh, made something which is so perfect and so pristine that I have not bothered about the commercial viability also because I feel that somebody has to make a Rolls Royce, you know. We can get volumes from cheaper things and stuff like that where there is a compromise. But because I was so much into health and fitness and uh, strength, 
one of the things that have pushed me to stay strong and fit is that I have to be there single-handedly for my son until the end of at least my life, you know, till my last breath. I cannot uh, have the luxury to cry. I do not have the luxury to say that, oh, I have brought you up. Now you look after me. I cannot say that to my son. It will be me who will serve my child until the end of my life and tell him that I'm grateful that you taught me so much and you gave me the satisfaction of uh, being a mother. You know, so I have to be grateful to him and I will continue to live through him. So I have expressed that gratitude. So I am so much physically, mentally, even spiritually into health and fitness that I feel that there has to be somebody out there who makes a brand like that, uh, that can do. And I'm sure that there is an audience. So we're talking like about Proksham. Proksham, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Proksham, we have nutritional supplement. Uh, we have it for sports and uh, also the nutraceutical part for healing, uh, recovery. So the, the first products, so the first few products I came up with was, uh, you know, recovery, heal and care. Because as an athlete, you know, we undergo fatigue, uh, stress, pain, soreness. Wear and tear is something so important in an athlete's life because an athlete has a very limited shelf life. And you may have it in your mind, but to be able to do it in practice, you need your joints to stay strong for a very long time. And you cannot avoid wear and tear. So how do you heal it? How do you keep it so strong that it doesn't uh, you know, happen for a very long time? And me, after retiring from my athletic career, I pursued Bharatnatyam, which is more intense. And now uh, running, athletics, you know, the actual athletics. So, I mean, there's no end. So, just the way uh, today morning somebody was saying, So, I said, yeah, I would have been uh, dadi if my son was, you know, fine and you know, because he's 35 now. I said, these are the examples which inspire us and they create human possibilities. My vision is to create human possibilities and tell people that, yes, this is possible. Somebody who has a doubt can look up to me from any perspective, whether it's family or child or physical activity or studies. I did, I restarted my education in 2008 and I did it all over again. I'm still studying. So, you know, when you can just do anything at any age, any activity, so anybody who's stuck anywhere in life can just look upon me and say, okay, it is humanly possible, I will do it. So that is my desire that I should be able to give that strength to especially the women. Great. So I have one last question. Imagine you are standing on a stadium and this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. There are millions of people and they are eagerly and passionately waiting to listen to the most important lesson that you have learned in the life. And you haven't given only one minute of time to share the most important lesson that you've learned. What would be your message? I think we should accept and trust our destiny. We must have a parallel sense of surrender. Keep doing your best and uh, know that everything will end one day. That should not weaken you, but give you strength. We must believe that we must do whatever we can to add to the collective consciousness and uh, 
just be happy always, no matter what happens. This, uh, our life is the journey of our soul. Many times when I have gone to, say, a Bharatnatyam class, where I have not been able to perform or be as uh, punctual, you know, as consistent sometimes, I feel that I will not compare myself to the pros out there. This is my journey. I'm not going to give up in between, no matter how much humiliation I go through, how bad I am. That should not deter me. I can be the worst student in the class, but I will keep going. People who are better than me will come and go. So because I feel it's it's not music, I'm not going to become Lata Mangeshkar and I'm not going to become Yamini Krishnamurti. But everything that I'm doing is sparking a lot of realizations within my soul that the quest to learn, the quest of going through the pain and understanding how every emotion is and how profound it is to go through the process of learning and learning and how everybody feels. I think that evolves our soul. Even physical activity has an intellect. And we must just look at life as this is the story of my soul. I am watching this story. So I am watching my story. My story is meant to create a legacy. And uh, my body is an instrument. And I must serve this body so that I can fulfill this journey and leave my message in this world. So when you have that detachment that there's somebody else within you and this will end one day, I think it will just keep you very happy, at peace and strong. And also that calmness and peace is actually the representation of strength. It's how much you can take, not how much you can hit. It's how much you can endure because that will teach you uh, not to hurt others. So I think this is the essence of my life. Dr. Rita Jairath, you have had an incredible life and journey. And uh, thank you so much. I would like to take this moment to acknowledge for everything that you have done uh, to inspire people, to tell all of us that, hey, life may throw challenges at you, but it's up to you. What do you want to make out of it? And uh, teaching us the lesson on patience, whether that's enduring the difficult childhood or whether that's enduring and going through this journey with your son or whether going through the marriage which was not or maybe far from perfect. Thank you so much for showing us life may throw whatever but you can carve your own path and then still rise and be an inspiration to so many people out there. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I feel honored to be having this conversation with you. And by far, this is probably one of the most inspiring conversations that I've had on the Inspiring Talk. Thank you so much. And, you know, I have given so many interviews. I have never spoken out my heart uh, like this. Thank you for bringing out this in me. I mean, like, it's been very, very uh, gratifying. I think I this will be a record for me also because I am able to express what is within me and it has not been superficial by any means. So thank you for having me and thank you for asking me all these questions. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed listening to this, I want you to do two things for me. Number one, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe to the podcast and give five-star ratings. 
This will help me attract more listeners to this podcast and take this information to a wider audience so that we can help more people grow in their life. And second, share this episode with at least three people in your network who you think need to hear this episode. You never know, just by sharing this episode, you can help them transform their life. Be that person who helps others grow in their life. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.